Good morning again, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. This is Dave McGuire. Um, I planned this week to uh, bring you a new format, more of a panel discussion uh, for Sunday School that unfortunately uh, didn't come together as I would have liked. Uh, so we will do another week of uh, pre-recorded content um, that features just me. Um, but uh, please uh, be in prayer for us as we work this out um, and uh, as we try to uh, do what we can to uh, bring you a more interactive, um, a more interactive series. Um, uh, forgive me, I received some uh, distressing family news last night, so I'm uh, uh, distracted um, and uh, I, uh, I need your prayer this week, so please... Uh, uh, well, and every week, so please um, be in prayer for uh, for me um, and for my my extended family. Um, let's pray, Lord. Thank you that uh, you have given us your word. Thank you that you have um, manifested your spirit in our spirits. That we are able to uh, know the truth, uh, to love the truth, um, and uh, ultimately rest on you as the, um, the source of, of true delight. Um, thank you that uh, we have one another, uh, that you have given us a community of believers to interact with and, and to, um, to love. Uh, thank you that uh, uh, you've given us this uh, technology that keeps us together even when we are um, seemingly so far apart. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this week, we're talking about the power of apologetics. Um, about a year ago, Kathy and I were presented with um, an incredible opportunity. Uh, we'd been regularly interacting with a group of unbelievers. We were invited into their homes and led into their community, and we built trust with them as our friendship group. Uh, one of them had a relationship go south on her and sort of... Um, turned to us as the exemplars of what she wanted but didn't have and, and couldn't build. Uh, she would call us last minute uh, to, and, come and ask to come hang out, and she'd eat with us and, and spend hours talking to the two of us about where things went wrong in her relationships and asking our advice. Um, and really all I was able to tell her was, you know, it's, it's, it's not me. I'm, uh, there's nothing special about me. Um, there's nothing special about us in our relationship. It is very simply um, the grace of God in our lives. And our advice to her was always very simple and, and could be distilled over and over into three words. Hey, repent and believe. We had the time to really delve into these things and talk to her about sin and law and the nature of existence, the goodness of God, the reality of hell and the power of the cross and the gospel. There were times, real times, when we could see or hope or wish that the seed was taking root, that the spark of truth that we were giving would ignite into a flame in her. But then she moved away and old habits reemerged and really, truly, despite our prayers and hopes, there seems to be less than little progress. And her hostility to the gospel is still very much readily apparent in the things that she continues to do and say. But Dave, I can hear you saying through the internet, isn't this about the power of apologetics? Wasn't that story supposed to end with, we thought it wasn't working, but in the end it turned out that it was. 
Well, let me answer that with another story. When I was in college, I connected with a young professor who shared with me the same sort of snarky sense of humor and love for the Simpsons and desire to know things and know the truth that I had. I took every class I could with him and got to know him pretty well and and knew him better through his divorce and his personal struggles and Um, Even after graduation, we'd have lunch together and chat through things, and he would ask questions about my faith and question my faith, and and I'd try my best to defend it, ultimately culminating over teriyaki when he asked me, Dave, do you seriously care about my immortal soul? And I answered, yeah, Doc, I do, because heaven and hell are real and everyone is going to one or the other, and I want you to go to heaven. And almost two years later, I got a call from him letting me know that he'd placed his faith in Christ and, and um, as an aside, is going to a PCA church in, uh, in my hometown. Now, so let's contrast those two scenarios. In one, I'm a mature Christian, um, married, I have kids, I'm an elder in the church, I've practiced sharing my faith and elaborating on the power of the gospel. In the other, I'm a dumb college student who at that point still got most of my eschatology from the Left Behind series. So what's my point? Always be ready and never give in to the temptation to be silent because you fear you are dumb or you may say the wrong thing. Apologetics has been described as a willingness to work with God in helping people discover and turn to his glory. The wider we cast our nets and point to the risen Christ, the more we understand that there is power in our words, not of our own exemplary language or innovative, unique take on the subject matter, rather the power of the Holy Spirit to take our feeble, stilting exercises in defense of our faith and translate it into something that will affect the hearts of those who hear it. Greg Bonson has a lot of convincing and convicting things to say about apologetics. Um, unfortunately, he fell into theonomy, and that's the, uh, the concept that the Mosaic Law, more or less in its entirety, constitutes a continuing norm for mankind, and that it is the duty of the civil authority to enforce it. Uh, it's quoting um, Meredith Klein. Near the end of his life, Bonson fell into this, but um, just because of that, it doesn't negate the truth of much of what he had to say. I'm quoting him now. We can offer sound reasons to the unbeliever, but we cannot make them subjectively believe those reasons. We can refute the poor argumentation of the unbeliever, but still not persuade him. We can close the mouth of the critic, but only God can open the heart. Only God can regenerate a dead heart and give sight to the blind. This is why apologists should not evaluate their success or adjust their message on the basis of whether the unbeliever finally comes to agree with them or not. The the power of apologetics, Christian, is not about us. 1 Corinthians 1 says in verse 18 and uh, through 21, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. We've talked about this a little bit before, but we do not subjugate the wisdom of God in apologetics to the wisdom of men. Um, in the book that we're going through, uh, Every Believer Confident by Mark Farnham, Farnham helpfully states, apologetics is ultimately a battle of authorities. Talk with some unbelieving friends for a while about the origin of things, anything, and you'll quickly come to understand that the authority behind what they believe is themselves, their own reason and their own presuppositions. As though someone who has lived roughly half of their roughly 75 years on this planet can suss out the vast mysteries of neutron stars and black holes and galaxies and time and dark matter. You'll hear them say, well, I believe X, Y, and Z, and that's true for me. And this Christianity thing, that's great that it's true for you. As though the inner workings of the mechanics of life, the universe, and everything are subject to change based upon my reasoning and meandering musings of somebody in a cubicle in an office somewhere. Rather, our confidence comes from the word of God. It is his authority in which we place our trust. The verses that we just read above tells us that the wisdom of man is destroyed by God. How is this done? God's word is utterly consistent on the nature of things, the origin of things, and the creator of things. He is consistent in this because he knows who he is and what he's done. This is his world, and he gets to say how things go. Contrast that with the limited knowledge of man. I mentioned dark matter earlier. Our universe is mostly dark matter, and no one knows what it is. Okay, so take that, that takes care of science as the authority. They can't even explain what most of the world is made up of. But what then about philosophy? So wisdom takes the place in both in the philosophical methodology of observation and then in the philosophical uh, methodology of th thinking, thought about stuff. I was uh, watching a YouTube video on Zen Buddhism. And their answer to lust, to pride, to anger, to greed is to rid yourself of all desire. And I think we've all heard that before. And my question to the video, and yeah, I, I was talking about the video, is do you desire to rid yourself of all desires? If the answer is that there is no answers, that in itself is an answer. We base our message not on our own cleverness, like that attempts to do not in our own superior knowledge, but on the foundation of God's authority. Thus, the power of apologetics is God's power. The Holy Spirit, says Farnham, is the active, dynamic, supernatural power behind the transformation that takes place in salvation. Salvation is a miracle. We are often accused as reformed folk of not focusing enough on the supernatural. I would argue that we are much more supernaturally focused than the charismatic. For the power of making a leg grow longer or an ear infection go away pales in comparison to the miracle of raising one who is dead in her sins to a saving faith in Christ. That miracle happens daily, constantly. That we recognize this means that we do not attempt to convert an unbeliever by our own power but we share and defend our faith as the ordinary means by which the Spirit moves. 
Therefore, the time that Kathy and I spent with that friend I mentioned earlier was never wasted. It was never useless because it was never our job to persuade her in the first place. Acts 8, 29 tells us, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Our time with her was divine appointment, regardless of outcome. The unbeliever's opposition to the truth is not an intellectual one, primarily, remember. It is a spiritual suppression. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what is the primary means of communication between our hearts and the Spirit? It's prayer. Our prayer life reveals on whom we rely. Little prayer would tend to indicate little reliance on God, would tend to indicate much more self-reliance. Even if I have all the answers, if I'm not praying for the unbeliever, I'm resting on my ability to bludgeon him into belief with knowledge. Prayer begs the spirit to act. Prayer begs God to bring flesh to dry bones. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So remember these things. One, that salvation is a miracle. It is an act of the Spirit, so it is not dependent upon you. Two, that our means of communicating with the Spirit is prayer. And so we must be in constant prayer for those unbelievers that God has divinely appointed to come into our lives. But we are still sinners. So remember that the pursuits we're speaking about today must be done with gentleness, with respect, to persuade rather than to, and I like this word uh, today for some reason, bludgeon. Apologetics is not about contention or belligerence. The unbeliever you're talking to is on a path to spend eternity experiencing God's wrath. The truth we're sharing is their only hope. Use this knowledge to remember the only thing separating us from them is the grace and mercy of God. There's nothing special about us. And that should keep us very humble and very winsome in sharing our faith. Let's pray. Lord, you've shown us that gentleness and respect are how you want us to approach an unbeliever. You've shown us that we were once dry bones, but that you have turned our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that are pleasing to you because you look through us and you see your son who has come to earth to... Um, uh, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death we deserve to die, and ultimately to share uh, the truth of you with a world that suppresses it. Help us, Lord, to live in light of that knowledge. Live in light of the fact that we are um, messengers 
of your truth in this world that is going to hell. Help us to be respectful and winsome in that, uh, in that sharing and not to, um, not to rely on our own knowledge, but to rely on your, uh, your power and your authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. Um, I uh, appreciate the feedback that I've gotten and I would love to hear more. Uh, please uh, comment on the Facebook post. Please reach out to me via text or uh, via email. Um, and we hope to uh, deliver a more interactive uh, time um, in the weeks to come. Thanks.